And uh, so today we're going to get into the word. But before we get into the word, you can turn to uh, John chapter 17 if you haven't already. And I need to take a little bit of a survey before we, uh, we watch this video. I need to know who in this room um, is an extrovert. Who are the extroverts in this room? You like parties. You like the uh, you like everything around you. Extroverts, like you, you are a, a party person, outgoing person. You have no problem going up to people. I okay. So um, the reason I ask this um, is because if I were to ask who the introverts in the room were, you wouldn't have participated with me because I know because I am one. And when you ask me stuff, I I, I kind of participate. But we introverts. Um, we like to stay in the shadows, stay on the walls. Uh, and, and so a little bit of this message today is going to be for you introverts in the room. Um, extroverts don't tune out because more likely than not, you are either married to one, you have a child that's one, or you have a coworker that is an introvert. So you can learn something from us introverts. But um, before we get into the word, uh, uh, this better together message, this message on community, because when introverts hear about messages on community, we start feeling guilty and we start tuning out because we want a silent room and a very small group. And so we hear community and it's like, eh, tune out, that's for the extroverts. It's not. But before we get into that, let's watch this uh, video real quick. So one thing that she said, um, the ideal self is bold and gregarious. And many times the introverts get passed over for leadership positions. Um, I, I am to the core an introvert. Um, for those of you that have only seen me here on this stage, that might come as a shock to you. Um, but anyone who has seen me off this stage, not surprising at all. I, I spent probably a good 31 years of my 32 years on this earth defining myself and my ability to lead people based on my personality type. And so I pigeonholed myself into this one little niche of being an introvert. And I thought, and I believed the lie that she said, that my ideal self is to be an extroverted, gregarious, community-building type of person. And so anytime I would run across a leadership position that would uh, would, uh, mandate that, I would run from it. I mean, even though I, I've kind of been in and around ministry for about 14 years of my life at this point, anything that showed signs of having to be extroverted outside, outside of like the stage, I would, um, I would close myself off, I would discount myself, and I would, try to, I, I would tell myself, that's not for me. And I think a lot of us do that here in the church. When it comes to building community, being better together, we delegate all of the leadership roles to the extroverted people and we discount the calling of God on our lives to build community, which we all have. We put it on the extroverted type people and we say it's for them. Introverts in the room, you'll know you're an introvert and and I took some of these just from my own life. So I'm going to tell on myself, but here's a little introverted quiz that I'll just kind of run through of things in my own life. Um, if when we 
We did the greeting after worship today, and, and we do that every single week. And if you've been here for a while, if you happen to have to go to the bathroom every time we, you feel the greeting coming on, um, you're probably an introvert. It's, it's not your bladder. Um, if it was a movie, you would hold it, but, but there's an, the introverted side of us like just has to run for the hills. If you've ever, um, if you've ever worn headphones, out in public with no music on just so you cannot have to say hi to anybody. You might be an introvert. Um, if, if your ideal party, birthday party, like, like you, if, especially if you're married to an extrovert or if you have an extroverted best friend who likes to, uh, who loves parties, if your ideal birthday party is eight people or less and you think that that's the rager that you want to plan, you're probably an introvert. If you're an extrovert, you want as many people there as possible. For me, in my introverted self, if there's more than eight people at my birthday party, I'm freaking out and it's not a party for me anymore. It's for everybody else. And so, <laughs> but so many times as, as an introvert, um, I've, 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 I've delegated stuff off to other people because I thought they were more qualified for that. But the, the problem is, is God has put a mandate on every single person on the earth to go into the world and make disciples. And you can't make disciples outside of the context of community. You can't go and make disciples if you're not around people. You can't go and make disciples sitting in, sitting in a dark room reading a book by candlelight with your hot tea. You can't. You can't, you can't go and make disciples if you're in a coffee shop alone reading your Beth Moore book and you're doing your Bible study and you, you happen to tweet about a, a good point that you saw, but you never have community with people where there's vulnerability, where there's communication, where there's talking, where, where you have to look face to face with somebody, uh, and maybe a large group of somebodies and you have to dialogue with them. We delegate our mandate that God has given every single one of us if we tell ourselves that discipleship is for the extrovert and discipleship is for the people who feel comfortable being around people. We are all called to disciple. One of our greatest leaders in the Bible was a hyper-introvert. And I don't know if you've ever read his story through the eyes of an introvert, but there's a story of a man named Moses. And Moses... When Moses first got in trouble, when he killed a guy and had to go into hiding, here's, here's, if you kind of read it through the eyes of an introvert, and maybe I'm reading into it, I don't know, but the, the rest of his life kind of, uh, supports this idea, is he was, he was people watching for, uh, for his nation. He was always off to the side and he was watching the injustice that was going on, much like an introvert. You're, you're people watching, you're observing, you're taking notes, and you're stuffing all of your observations inside of yourself. And eventually, the more you stuff, the more it wells up. And for Moses, the anger that he he saw the injustice that he saw welled up inside of him to the point where he, he, he killed a guy who was whipping one of his people. And then he, he, he felt bad about that. And so he went to the backside of a mountain for 40 years and took a job where all he had to do was not really be around people, just be around the sheep. And he could think to himself. He could meditate to himself. He could be just around the sheep and a couple small group of other shepherds. And, and so he lives for 40 years. Uh, as, as his introverted shepherd on the backside of a mountain where his comfort zone was. And then God comes to this introvert in a, in a burning bush. And he says, I'm calling you back to that big group of people that you once ran from 
and I'm sending you straight in the middle of them, and you're going to have to lead this massive group of millions of people. And oh yeah, you're going to also have to essentially be on national television as you go and talk to the Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And you're going to have to do that ten times. Spotlight of all the nation. You're going to have to be in the spotlight. Introverts hate spotlight. And so he, he he's called out of his comfort zone, and as he's called out of his comfort zone, he says, listen, I can't speak that well. I don't like being in front of people. Can you send my friend Aaron as my spokesperson? Because we like to delegate the stuff that's in front of people and and make them do the dirty work. And we just kind of, we whisper in the ear of the extroverts and say, will you kind of, will you go and do this? But God's called us. Extroverted spouses, God's called your introverted spouses to more than reading books and tweeting about stuff. He's called to people. Moses then gets the courage from God to kind of go and do his thing. And then, the, and then as he leads the people out and they're in the desert, they begin to form their little society. And, and what's also interesting here about Moses' life is as they form the society, he's the judge of the society. And he puts all of the work of judging the entire nation on himself. Because delegating to a lot of different people is a little bit stressful. Introverts like to um, put all the stuff on to them. And it, and it looks good on the outside, but it took an extroverted father-in-law. I don't know anything about this at all. But it took an extroverted father-in-law to say, quit, quit putting all the stuff on yourself. Why don't you take a, a few judges that are over hundreds of people and then some judges over fifties of people and then judges over ten. And he starts to tell them, listen, you can't do this alone. You need a bunch of people because the introvert inside him wanted to kind of be in a controlled environment. Introverts are called to people. You have no excuse because I don't either. And we sometimes need to learn how to do that. We're going to look at a verse here, John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is a, um, is a prayer that Jesus is praying. And he's, he's about to go to the cross. He's already, he's already begun to, for a few chapters, from verses four, or chapters 14 through 16, he's, t- he's telling them, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to give you this Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to empower you. He's going to teach you. He's going to comfort you. He's going to counsel you. As you go into the world, he's going to be there with you to cause you to be more than you were when you did not have him empowering your life. And so and Jesus is talking about that, and he takes a moment. And in the midst of all this, these people, he has, a, he has a moment with God where he begins to pray in their midst. And the reason he's praying in their midst, and he says this in one of his, his statements in John chapter 17, I pray these things not because I, uh, we don't know them, Jesus and the Father. He's like, we've talked about this before. We're in the know. I pray this so that they will know the things that I pray for their lives. Which I think, as a side note, is an incredible principle that parents, you, you should adopt Jesus, as, 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 uh, as a teacher, as, as a discipler, as a spiritual father, he prayed out loud in the midst of the people he was discipling, not necessarily just because he needed prayer time, but because he had to model how to pray in the midst of the people he was discipling. And kids need to hear your, you, you parents praying. 
not just because they want to know that you pray, but because they sit around sometimes and they have no idea what to pray. And sometimes the only way they're going to know what to pray is if they hear somebody praying. And so we can't always privatize our prayer life. Sometimes we have to pray in the midst of the people, if for nothing else, just so they can hear how to pray. That's just a side note. Jesus is praying, and he comes to chapter or verse twenty, John eleven, or John seventeen, verse twenty through twenty-one. It says. I am praying not only for these disciples, so the people in his midst, but also for, uh, for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and that's me. In this moment, Jesus is praying for you. In this moment, he's looking into the future and he's seeing the stuff that's going on. He's saying, listen, I'm praying for these people right here. And so if it's something that he is modeling, if it's something he wants us to know, if there's a teaching element to this, we should then grab a hold of what he's praying, not just as inspiration, but as instruction for the things that he's called us to do. Verse 21, I pray that they will all be one. Just as you and I are one. What's this speak to? It speaks to community. What's this speak to? It speaks to, to intimacy with each other. What's this speak to? It means, it means we live life together. We do life together. We get into each other's junk, whether we like it or not. We are in each other's business. We are not Facebook stalking. We are face to face stalking. We are, we are in each other's business. We're asking hard questions. We're calling people out. We're encouraging when people need encouragement. We're, we're, we're loving on people when they need love. We're slapping them in the face if they need a slap in the face. We are in each other's life because unity encompasses all of these things. And he says this. He said, I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. He's also talking to us about the fact that we are going to know what true community looks like when we observe the interactions of the Trinity. We'll talk about that in a second, because it's kind of this big idea, and I don't know why I bit off way more than I can chew to talk about the Trinity that's been discussed and debated and fought over for thousands of years. We're going to take about two minutes and talk about that in just a second. Um, so just as you and I are one, as, as, uh, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they also be in us, and this is the purpose for unity. This is the purpose for better together. This is the purpose for community, for God kind of community, so that the world will believe that you have sent me. What is he saying? He's saying when we not just evangelize, when we live in God kind of community, Trinitarian community, like intimate, godly community, that in itself is a form of evangelism. That in itself is going into the world and being his disciples because Jesus said they're going to know us by our love for one another. So here's our big idea for the, for the next few minutes. As we discover intimate community with God, we redefine intimate community with others. We as Christians have a different opportunity for community than the rest of the world does. There are good communities all across the world that have nothing to do with the church and with God. 
In some, in some places, the, the communities in our world are better than the communities in the four walls of the church, and that's just a fact. But we have an opportunity to be different, not just because we happen to like each other more, because that's not always the case, not just because we happen to have a pattern of, of being together on Sundays, because people have patterns to being together on Sundays. The thing that defines us, the thing that makes us different, the thing that made Israel different in the Old Testament when they go into different nations is the same thing that go, makes us different today, and that is the presence of God and the ability to love like Jesus. We have that in our midst. And the more we observe how God treats us, the more we observe how God treats others, the more we observe how, how we're supposed to, to uh, treat each other and then put it into practice. And then you put the presence of God in the midst of a group of people. That's going to draw way more people than handing them a, a little track that says that Jesus loves them or writing on the tip, uh, the tip receipt like, God bless you. More so than that is if they, if they see you interacting at a table as a God kind of community or if they see you at the park in this God kind of community, the self-sacrificing, self-giving, a uh, love of God in the midst of us. And the more we can learn to be better together in the midst of, uh, of our, um, our own stuff, the more we can learn to be a community that, that observes and honors and incorporates the presence of God into our midst, the more people will be drawn to that because our entire purpose for community is not good meals. It is a salvation of a world that is going to hell without, without Jesus. Community is not just something that we like to do as Americans or they like to do in other nations because it just makes us feel good. Community has a purpose. And the purpose is the salvation of many, the salvation of those. It's kind of, we're building this black hole that's sucking people into it. And, and, the, and they, they, if they get around us, they notice we're different. And if they get around us, they notice that just there's, there is a difference. So we have to learn how to be community builders the same way that God himself in his three parts is a community. I want to talk for a second about the Trinity. The Trinity, uh, there's a, a, a diagram that we're going to throw up here. If you, uh, I think it's the next one. So this, if you don't know what the Trinity is, Trinity is that there is, uh, that God is three and God is one. In the 300s, there was this, this uh, thing called the uh, Council of Constantinople. And uh, people came from h- hundreds of miles around. Hundreds of miles. People lost their life just to get to this place. And obviously they didn't. People, people had to, uh, people were getting sick. People, they, they, they risked their lives to get to this place where they could formulate their beliefs in who God is based on the scriptures, based on what they know. And they came to this, this conclusion that there is three, God is three and God is one. It's way too big to understand really, but essentially God is the Father. God is the Son. God is the Holy Spirit. But the Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. And the Father is not the Son. That total sense, right? No. Uh, Okay, so... Basic point is that they, they for eternity past, God in eternity past has been a community. When it says, and we'll look at this in a second, when it says God is love... 
Love has to have an outlet in order to be love. Love has to flow out of somebody into somebody else for it to be love. So God cannot be love if it doesn't love itself in the midst of this intricate, confusing thing called the Trinity. And, uh, and so when, when Jesus says, hey, I want them to love each other like we love each other. He's saying, I, I, I hope that while I was on the earth, they were observing me talking to you and you, uh, you talking to me. Observing things like when Christ was baptized before he ever did any type of ministry thing. He just lived a normal life. Christ goes to John the Baptist and he's going to be baptized. And it's, I think, in Matthew chapter 3. And, um, and as Jesus goes to John and says, will you baptize me? And John's like, well, you should be baptizing me. And he's like, no, just chill out, dude. I mean, just baptize me. Just do what I said. I'm Jesus. And so he, he kind of does this thing. And it says, as he baptized him, Jesus is being baptized. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. And the Father from heaven, before he does anything else, he affirms him and says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. There's an interaction of the Trinity happening here. There's, there, there's the, the son affirming the father, or the, son, the father affirming the son before he does anything else, before he, he impresses anyone, before he accomplishes anything. We could learn something about how to interact with somebody just from that one point. We see the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus to empower him to be a person that is greater than himself. It could, it could re- we could learn from that as, as our words have power, especially when they're anointed by the Holy Spirit. We can speak life. We can speak encouragement. We can build somebody up by the words that we speak to them. There's an interaction. There's a community. There's a thing that is going on here with Jesus that, that he's, he's modeling for us community. And there's three things I want to look at. Three things... That um, that they modeled really well. That I think we could uh, we could maybe put into practice in our lives or build on because I think a lot of these are already in place in our church and we can just get better and better in them. Number one, serve the purpose and the passion of one another. Um, Jesus submitted himself to the purpose of his Father. In John chapter twelve, verse forty-nine, it says, "I don't speak on my own authority." The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, listen, I, I attached, and, and this is in his humanity, and this is where it gets kind of complicated, but he, he, he emptied himself, he submitted himself to his Father and said, I'm going to attach myself to your purposes, and I'm going to do it the way that you asked me to do. And our lives and our community here at church and community, as we take community out into the area... There's going to be some that are leaders and there's going to be some that are followers. And all of us need to attach ourselves to something bigger than ourselves and bigger than our little worlds. And in order to have community, we have to attach ourselves to, to, to whether it's a cause of, of a, a single mom who just needs help or, or an organization that needs help or here in the church with ministries that are going on. And, and, and as we attach ourselves to things that are bigger than ourselves, then we, we begin to learn uh, how to be in community. And as we begin to attach ourselves to things that's bigger than ourselves, then all that self that gets in the way, all that selfishness, all the pride, all the ego, all the, all the, uh, the rebellion, all that kind of stuff that's in all of us, 
it rises to the surface a lot of times in the midst of community. We become better people because in the midst of community, as we serve one another and as we serve purposes that are bigger than ourselves, it, it rises to the surface all the stuff that shouldn't be there so God can deal with it and we become more like Jesus. But the problem for us introverts is we think we're better than we are because we're not around people to expose what's really inside of us. I don't know if that makes sense to you. It makes a lot of sense to me because I've, I've run across it way more times than I'm willing to admit. But as we stay solitary, as we stay isolated, as we stay around the few comfortable people we've always hung out with, nothing really rises to the surface. So we think we are like Jesus. And then we get around somebody that's new and we realize we're not. But it doesn't happen unless you're in community, unless you're serving the purpose of, of, uh, uh, of somebody else, really. Um, the father learned to trust Jesus in his leadership. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus told him, or yeah, Jesus told him, this person he's talking to, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to me, to the father, except through me. And the father trusted the son's leadership. There has to be trust in the midst of community. And that's one of the things that may rise to the surface when, when we uh, attach ourselves, whether in a leadership position or in a, in a following, serving, is do we trust each other? Because the Father and the Son are really modeling this, like, trusting really well. Father's like, listen, the eternal security of all of the world is put on you. Now go down there, do your thing. And there was a trust that, uh, that had to rise up. And in your community of people, does everything rise and fall on what you say? Or is it like a community, trust, um, interactive, synergy type of atmosphere in your workplaces, in your home, here at church, with your friends? We have to learn to trust. We need to learn to, to delegate. We need to learn to um, be in a community with one another. And, and the second thing that we learn from them is um, to love, love each other. So simple, right? Just love each other. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 8, it says this. Beloved, let's love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And like we said before, love must have an outlet. You can't love from afar. You can't love in isolation. You can't love just as a theory. Love is an action. Love is, needs an outlet. Love demands community. And as we watch as they interact with each other, you just see love all over the place. And, and, and he's calling the church to do the same thing. I, I, I pray that they would love each other the way that we love each other. They would be one in love as we are one in love. And love is only expressed in the context of community. As we rub up against each other in, uh, uh, in our families, in our church, in our workplaces, wherever we are at, if, as we rub up against each other and we choose to act like Jesus as the friction is happening, that is when we really are loving. Because here's the thing. Love also demands a little drama. 
I don't know if you knew this. It's the fun part about love that I just love. That Love actually demands a little bit of drama and a little bit of chaos. And love demands a little bit of friction because love is patient. And if you don't know how to be, if you've never been impatient, you don't know that love is patient. And if you've never been tempted to be unkind, you can't show that love is kind. And you can't show that love is good unless you are in the face of something that's bad. And so love demands a little bit of drama. And you can't have drama alone in a room. I don't know if you knew that. I don't have a lot of drama with myself. I mean, like, when I sit at Starbucks with my headphones in my book and no music playing in my headphones, sometimes, it's, sometimes I, I look down and it hasn't been plugged in for a while and I wonder who noticed that. Because um, then they, they catch me. Love demands a little bit of, uh, of drama. And... Uh, For those of us who, like the video said, um, social stimulation and drama and a lot of movement and stuff, you just kind of like, it it makes you close up a little bit. Um, That is not a call to not be in community. That's just a call to love that much greater. And there's a grace for that that will rise up for us introverts. There is an introvert grace. I haven't found it in the Bible, but grace is for everybody in all contexts and everything. So for us introverts, there's, a, there's an introverted grace for when we are in a crazy situation and there's 400 kids in the room and you are, can't focus on anything and you just say to yourself, God, I'm going to still love and not shut off. I'm going to create community and not distance myself. Um, lastly, how do you build? How do you how do you build and sustain community? Lift each other up. Listen to these words, these statements that um, that Jesus said. Uh, first, first one comes from John chapter seventeen. This prayer that Jesus is praying: Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing. Uh, the work you've given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now, we can't glorify each other with that kind of glory because that's reserved for God. But one of the things that he is, he is modeling here as he begins to pray is we have to be a people that lift each other up, put each other in the spotlight, we have to honor one another. We have to lift each other up because if the only other thing that you can do is tear each other down. In John chapter 16, verse 13 through 15, it says, uh, he's, he's, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he's gonna guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. Remember that, that thing about like submitting yourselves to somebody else. So Jesus submitted himself to the Father. The Holy Spirit submitting himself to the work of Jesus and glorifying Jesus. But I will tell you what he has heard. He will, he will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. So here suddenly we have this submission. We have this honoring and it's, it's, it's mixing up to create this community amongst the three parts of the Trinity. And it's in the midst of these other people. And they're doing it in front of them so that these disciples, who probably some of them are still trying to figure out if Jesus is really who he said he is. 
This is, in some ways, a form of discipleship. Because I, I know this might be a controversial statement, but the, the disciples were still processing whether Jesus was who he said he was. They, they still had their doubts. They still had their confusion. They still were struggling with their faith. They were not perfect in their faith, which is why you had people like, like Judas who betrayed him, which is why you had people like Peter who, when push comes to shove, was denying Jesus in the heat of the moment and then came back, which is why you have this moment where when the shepherd is struck, the sheep scattered because they're all dealing with their stuff. And Jesus is modeling in this, in the midst of these people who are processing their own faith. He's modeling to them what true love and community is like because true love and community is what's going to draw people to Jesus. But we have to lift each other up. We have to, uh, we have to spotlight each other. And that can come in a lot of ways. The simplest way for us introverts, just to throw a couple things out. You can just like say something good about somebody on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or like we have some people in the room that are incredible at this. Like Kenna James is like 100% the greatest person on earth when it comes to lifting somebody else and spotlighting them on the internet because she writes these like 12 page letters on, uh, on, on and posts them on Instagram and, and I, we read them and we feel good about ourselves by reading what she writes about other people. And like there's, there's people in this room that do exactly those types of things. Use social media as like a, a bare minimum to spotlight somebody when you notice this, they're doing something good. Um, in the midst of a family dinner, which means have family dinners, um, which means eat together, which means eat together and talk, uh, eat together and talk without a television, uh, eat together, talk without a television about your day. Um, and, and in the midst of eating together, without a television, together, talking about your day, um, observe something that somebody did that was good. And bring it to their, bring it to everyone's attention. And it builds community. You guys with your friends. I know it's really fun because I grew up, I basically grew up in your generation. I'm like on that, like, the, the year that breaks the generations I was born in, so I'm kind of part of you, kind of not. So um, when you're with your friends, and this can, we all have friends, uh, so this can all be for all of us. Um, when you're with your friends and they do something good, point out that they did something good. Um, if all, if all the community does is tear each other down when they do something stupid and never build each other up when they do something good, then, uh, we're all going to turn to introverts. This, this kind of why this, this whole generation, including like when I say generation now, I mean everybody on the face of the earth at this present moment. That's why we all kind of struggle with doing stuff out in the open because we know that it's going to get caught on some social media and we're probably going to get called out if it's dumb. So we'd rather stay safe because we're so used to people tearing us down and not used to people building us up. But imagine if we in this room, the hundred people that are here, however many are here, um, imagine if us hundred people did nothing for the next month except for built each other up, talked about each other in, in good ways, lifted each other up in the things that we do well, not tear each other down for the things we don't do well. Imagine what that'd look like in your homes. Imagine what that'd look like among your your kids. Miracle, I know. We'll be praying. Um, imagine what that'd look like in your job in your job place when you you're the one who doesn't say anything about your boss, or if you're a boss, you don't say anything about your co your, your employees. That would be a crazy, crazy testimony 
to a world that knows nothing except for TMZ and trollers on the internet. And if you don't know what those terms are, you're probably uh, 30 plus uh, TMZ, it's tabloid television, trollers, those people that go on your on websites and just say really horrible, horrible pe- things about anyone they can. Imagine if we were a little bit different and just lifted each other up. We have to be people that um, are different. Because here, here uh, I want to I maybe give you a brief synopsis, and then we're going to close right after this. Brief synopsis of kind of the, um, the rise, fall, and redemption of community. Rise, fall, and redemption. This might feel a little bit like class. This might feel a little bit like uh, I'm putting you through Bible college. It's okay. Um, rise, fall, and redemption of community. Man was designed for community. God created man, Adam. And as he created man, Adam, he looks at Adam and, and, he, and he puts Adam in a perfect society, probably because he was the only one there, and to me that seems awesome. Um, <laughs> he, puts him, he puts him in Eden, Eden, before sin, before anything. There's no sin. There's no, it's just him and God. And in this perfect society, he looks at Adam and he still says, it's not good that man is alone. Community happened before sin. Community is not us binding together against the effects of sin and bad stuff in our lives. Community, we are designed for community because before there was sin, there was community. And then, and then Adam and Eve, he, he gave Adam Eve, so they had, he, he doubled the community in size, and he gave them a wife, and then, and then they fell into sin. And the first effects of sin were shame, or accusation, and were, were drifting apart. They covered themselves up because they suddenly knew they were naked. There was shame in the midst of the community. They began to distance themselves from each other as they're, in, 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 they're hiding themselves bush to bush, and then they, they, they're hiding from God when he comes in. He's looking for them. He's like, where are you? I want to I hang out. They're, they're distancing themselves from God. As they distance themselves from God, breaking the community that was once there between each other and between God, they begin to, uh, as God calls out to them and says, where are you? And they begin to accuse each other and, and the snake. And there's all of this accusation in the midst of the community. Community's broken. You ever notice that it's pretty much the same things that break up community these days? Shame accusation, and then that shame and accusation cause people to distance themselves from one another. Nothing is new under the sun. When God came to Adam and Eve, who were trying to cover up their own shame, and he kills an animal, and he makes for them a loincloth, essentially. He covers up their shame because they tried to do it themselves, and it didn't work. Fast forward. God covers man, and then he begins to develop community. And community went from a family, so you had all these different families, and the families were kind of many nations. And then these families became bigger nations, so they actually became sustainable nations with governments and systems. And you read the book of, you, you read the first five books of the Bible, and it's all about community development, how to, how to live righteously in the midst of a community. 
And then as, as time goes by, he gives us Jesus once again to cover our shame, once again to cover our guilt, to cover our sin, and to unite us as his people, to unite us as his body. He came not just for your individual sin. He came for our collective sin so that we can become his body, all intricately connected to one another, working as one. And as we work as one, we begin to add more to his body. This is the, this is the picture of all he's wanted to do all along. He didn't just want to save you individually. He wants to save you, put you in a family so that we can get more and more people who are not going to go to hell in a handbasket. He loves, he loves community, no matter your personality type. Because as he's praying in front of these disciples, I guarantee you every personality type was represented with every type of past you can imagine. And he's looking at all of these people and he simply says, I hope that they're one as we are one. So we have to turn up. We have to turn up and look at God to find our model of community. We have to turn in so that we can see what is, what is going on inside of me that would, uh, would distance me from community or if I was put into community would harm the community. It's a big picture of why he's trying to change us because the stuff inside of us wrecks community. And then he asks us to turn out. Turn our eyes to the people that are around us who aren't in our community. And I don't mean that don't go to Gateway. It doesn't matter what church you're in. It means even within our community, even within our four walls, who are the people who do not know Christ, who just need to be around some people who model genuine godly community let's bring them to our dinner groups let's bring them to our house let's bring them into our world so that they can see that life is not what's portrayed on keeping up with the kardashians (laughs) life is not big brother life is not the real world um life is not reality television there is a genuine love and in the midst of our community God puts his grace on us. This is where we're going to end. And I'm going to ask the, the, the worship team to come up and we're going to end and we're going we're to pray. God's grace. And if you don't know what God's grace is, um, God's grace does two things. God's grace covers our sin. So he gives us his grace. By giving us Jesus, he gives us his grace. His grace gives us the ability to, um, to be forgiven. Not by what we earn, not by what we do, but just by what he did. This is his grace. It covers our sin. But the second thing that, he, that grace does is it, is it empowers us to be the type of people he wanted us to be from the beginning. When he put Adam and Eve in the midst of the garden with no sin, with no shame, with no accusations, he put them into a community and said, live and love each other, live and love me, and I'm going to be in the midst of the people. And as humanity grew, his purpose never changed. Sin complicates it. 
But God came to bring simplicity to the complication of sin so that we can live in community, loving each other passionately, loving each other godly, loving each other sacrificially, loving each other with the type of love that only can come from God. And no matter who you are, no matter what limitations you put on yourself, you are a leader in this community building effort that God initiated. Introvert to extrovert, no matter where you put yourself on the Myers-Briggs scale, you is called and you is anointed. And you are, 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 are given the grace, the ability, the anointing, the gifts, the talents to build a type of community that only you can build. Based on your personality, based on your history, based on your present, based on your future, based on your surroundings, based on your job, based on everything that he's put in your midst. That is the community he's called you to build and you just have to go. None of us, including myself, on the introverted scale, on the far end of the introverted scale, none of us are out of his will. None of us are out of his call. And I want us to pray. Maybe if, if you're comfortable with it, we just do this for, for kind of a concentration. We do this for um, just kind of a, a moment with God. If you want to maybe bow your heads, if you're comfortable with that. I think, I think God, for some, of, for some of you in this room who have discounted yourself because of your personality type, I think God's calling you out. You probably maybe feel a little bit uh, uncomfortable right now. That's cool. God's not always about your comfort. For some of you that have discounted yourself for months, years, said, I can't, I can't lead. I can't build community. I can't pull people together. I'm, I'm too shy. It's too hard. It's too... No, God is calling you out and God will give you the ability to do it. And your community might look a little bit different than the gregarious, extroverted community builder that is sitting to your right or to your left, but you are nonetheless called. You are nonetheless anointed. You are nonetheless required to make disciples of the world. And I don't say that to shame you. I say that because you have been called and God loves you and he's equipped you. And even in this moment, his grace is coming into your life. And even in this moment, his presence is in this place. And as your heads are bowed and if you are challenged in any area of what has been said today, God's grace is here for your uh, 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 you're taking. We're going to sing a song. And it's not a song we sing normally. So if you don't know the words, just have a moment with Jesus and talk to him or, or even better yet, let him talk to you. And as we sing this song, I believe that his grace is going to be in your life to begin to give you vision, to begin to give you strength and boldness. And then we'll come back after we sing this song and we'll, we'll end in prayer. But for just a moment, they're going to they're gonna sing a song.